The Hoops Journey would like to dedicate episode 15 to the memory of Simon Ibel. For those that don't know, Simon was one of less than 30 people in Canada and 2,000 people worldwide living with Hunter Syndrome. Simon was the manager at St. Mike's University and UVic during his life. He was known to have a dry sense of humor and was a good man to all that knew him. He also was a huge friend and mentor of Coach Ian Hydeley, our guest on this episode. We wish you well, Simon. We think about you lots. We love you and we miss you. Rest in peace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A Hoops Journey. Um, it goes without saying, I know we say it every episode that we are, you know, obviously excited about. Oh my goodness, Mazeltov. Here we go. That's how excited we are. We are so excited about this episode. People are breaking dishes in the background. We have someone who, when it comes to Hoop's journey, has one that is by far the most extensive and longest of anyone we've had um, on the show. Um, a man who's a, become a good friend and someone who we share a lot of notes with during seasons and keep in touch with outside of season. Uh, Well-respected in the basketball community and the rugby community as well. Um, but probably one of the things when we did the digging the most was we didn't realize was the 1975 single A MVP in a loss to a, I believe, Rich Goulet coached uh, St. Thomas Moore team. We are welcoming to the show tonight, none other than Mr. Ian Hydeley. How are you, sir? I'm extremely well, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, we're happy to have you. Um, let's just jump into it right away. Quickly, just give us you know, one thing we've been doing is checking in with people and their families. You know, you have two older boys, obviously, but you're a teacher at, uh, at SMU. And what has life been like for COVID for you? Um, we've already, you know, chatted offline about our frustrations and how it's not really what we signed up for. But how have you and your family been surviving and how's everyone doing so far? Well, uh, family is fine. Uh, my wife is at home. Uh, we're working away. Uh, son Graham is... Uh, working this summer, but he's still at home. And our older son, Derek, is currently studying uh, in Melbourne, Australia. So we haven't seen him for six months. Uh, but really, I mean, given everything that's been going on in the world, uh, you know, we're well. And, uh, you know, if, of all the places you could probably be in the world, South Vancouver Island is probably one of the safest right now. Yeah, for sure. I know my dad's on Main Island. And it, although it can be an annoying place to get to and very small and the things that we don't like about it, you know, the, like you, where you are and where he is are probably some of the safer areas. And one of the weird things too, is you've probably realized, and we, I'm sure you used it up to this point, but just the power of using, you know, something like FaceTime to at least be able to keep in touch with your son. And, and at least we have those options to, to check in and see that they're well and actually be able to look into their eyes. Although, although it's different, um, it's still an opportunity to check in, which is at least a little bit calming for a parent, I would think. Well, given the circumstances, that's very true. Uh, if you've been following the news, uh, the situation in Melbourne right now is not great in that they've had a real uh, surge of cases in the last week. Mm. And so uh, although they haven't been in the sort of postcode areas in which Derek's living, uh, you know, it's a concern. And so, you know, to be able to see him, as you say, FaceTime uh, every couple of days is, is very 
reassuring. Yeah. Good. Well, we wish him nothing but the best and I'm sure he'll be good. He's got, uh, probably got a good head on his shoulders if he's anything like his mom. (laughs) (laughs) He's listening. That's good. All right. Thanks so much for being with us. You know, um, you're someone I personally respect and, and admire. Um, you've taught me a lot as a coach and, and as a man and, and how to approach my kids. And, and I know that through your life story and your life through basketball and sport, um, you've learned a lot of things. And the thing that I appreciate about you the most is you're just willing, you're an open book and you're always willing to share things. So let's just jump right into what life was like for you. You've been an Islander for a long period of time. Um, and what was your life like as a, as a young little guy running around and how did sports become a part of your life? Um, whether it was through other coaches or your family or whatever it was and what got you into, into where you are now? Well, I guess, I mean, the main theme is I've been extremely fortunate my whole life, uh, grew up in uh, Shawnigan Lake. So as a young boy, had the run of the school campus, uh, 125 acres of just uh, facilities and uh, forests. Uh, I just couldn't have asked for a better place to, to, to grow up. Uh, my mother and father both worked at the school, and my father was uh, a well-regarded coach in his day, uh, rugby mostly, but track and field as well, and kind of coached everything. And so I gravitated to sports early, you know, he himself was an excellent teacher and uh, insisted that, uh, you know, I try to get a good basic skill set as I set out. I remember when I was six or seven, I think he held me out of the Duncan Minor Soccer Association because he said, you can't go in there until you can kick the ball with both feet equally well. And honestly, that was one of the best lessons I ever got. And that helped me so much in the future. Um, and as I came through just the public schools in the, the local area, and then uh, grade eight, um, I went to Shawnigan and I was there for five years and uh, just kind of an all-around athlete, uh, played everything, you know, probably rugby and basketball most, but, you know, kind of tried my hand at, 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 at everything, just took each sport as it came in its season. And then it was time to go to college and I just uh, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but wanted to keep playing sport and my dad just said, uh, you know, you can play rugby for a long, long time after, after university, but you know, the, the best level you're going to reach in basketball is, 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 uh, is at the college level. And he said, so absolute minimum first thing, give that a go and just see what happens. That's cool. And, and, you know, just looking when Sean, again, during your time there, was it, you know, it's still known as a pretty good athletic school. Was it still that, or were you part of a group that were, you know, you know, just above and beyond other groups, or was it still kind of known to be quite an athletic school back then? And has that tradition carried on? I'm just interested to know. Well, I think like every uh, sort of smaller school, uh, you know, it's ebbed and flowed. I was lucky to be in a in a, in a pretty good grade group. Um, we had a real sort of independent school based schedule back then. But, you know, my last couple of years of my grade 12 year for sure, I mean, our big rivals were Brentwood and University School and St. George's. And, you know, we swept them in rugby that year. And 75, my, my senior year at school, we, our basketball team, you know, the province had finally gone to double A and single A. And in the single A provincials, uh, you know, our school reached the final. Uh, so it was a, you know, it was, it was a school that was, that was 
having some success and, uh, you know, I was lucky to be part of it. Absolutely. Now, did you get, were you coached by your dad? I was coached by my dad in rugby yeah. and, uh, track, uh, and had obviously been given a, an all round kind of grounding. He himself was a, was a pretty capable athlete, uh, all rounder, um, very, very good rugby player and was actually a decathlete in uh, track basketball. I was coached by somebody else, but, uh, um, obviously dad is a very interested, uh, bystander. And for someone a little off topic, but for someone who's still coaching senior or varsity basketball and rugby to this day, talk about the importance of what you feel. Um, obviously you're going to be pro multi-sport athlete, but even in today's society where we see a lot of people that are trying to get specialized early on, let's just take a little sidebar here um, before we talk about your grade 12 year um, basketball wise. And what are your thoughts on the importance of being exposed to other sports and coaches and what that can do for you um, as a person and as an athlete? Well, I am a huge multi-sport fan. Uh, I really have concerns about uh, kids these days that are, are, focusing on one sport from, you know, 10, 11 years old. Uh, I just don't know what the point is. I'm worried about burnout, injury, not being exposed to as many coaching styles as, as, as possible. Um, I just feel that, you know, by, with a multi-sport background, you're going to really develop a wide skill set, stay fresh. Uh, and that, you know, when you get to 16 or 17, you know, that's the time you, there's still time to sort of then narrow in, focus in and, and, and go for what you want. And I just, I know I look back over, you know, almost 40 years of coaching now and all the best athletes in the schools I've been at uh, have come through, have almost to a man or a woman have been multi-sport people. I think that's just a huge point to make because we are, it is an interesting time that we're in, right? And I don't know what you're like in terms of what I don't like to chase kids. I want them to be a part of it, but I feel like if they're missing out on something and one thing you can guarantee is, is if you're playing smooth in basketball, there's going to be some six, one to six, five, really big, strong rugby kid who might not be able to make a layup, but will be on the team. And whether it's for conditioning footwork, just to bring a tougher edge during practice. But um, I know that you make a effort to try to get your guys to do both as much as possible if it's worthwhile for them. Um, so you can always guarantee that that's, there's always going to be someone out there that uh, has five fouls in the pocket and, and that's a little bit of a defensive mindset to your squads for sure. Yeah, I think so. And uh, obviously, you know, when you're a smaller school, maybe the, the depth of athlete pool is not, you know, it, it varies from year to year. Um, but there's so many things too that, I mean, life, everything you do, your family, your work, it's being part of a team and that every, you know, it's that's so critical. And so every time you can put yourself out there and be part of a team, it's really, I think, just critical and critically important to uh, someone's development. I couldn't agree more. And that's what, you know, when we were chatting before we started here and Corbin made a comment about, oh, so we played you guys in 2012 on the, you know, in, in that quarterfinal or whatever. And he said, well, I didn't play, right? But you know, I think Corbin realizing becoming a young coach, seeing the value of just what it means to be just a part of something bigger than yourself, right? And I and and, and I can't. Mm -hmm. That's my biggest fear. You know, you're talking about multi-sport. One of my biggest fears is just the honor of just wearing a jersey, make, realizing that hey, you're a part of something here, and you're a part of a team, and this is going to be your life, whether you choose to 
pursue this extra or um, post-secondary or not, it's what you're going to learn is so valuable. And, and that's such a huge takeaway. And I'm not sure a lot of the young people process it like that. And, it, you know, we're always trying to work at having them think that way. So thanks for sharing that. Well, I totally agree. I mean, it's not only, um, you know, what they can take away from the situation, but, you know, to try to make them real, realize that, you know, you may be the 10th man, you may not play very much, but you still are contributing, whether, you know, it's the way yeah. your team plays because of the way you practice. There's so many little pieces. There's no bit that's too big for any player to take on. So all the bits have to fit together. And, uh, you know, that's, that's when you can, can accomplish some great stuff. For sure. Let's go back. Thank you for sharing all that. Let's go back to high school because um, you're a unique one in terms of like you continued to play a lot of sports at a pretty darn high level for a lot of years. But um, what was your senior season like um, as an athlete? When did you start to think like, hey, you know what, maybe maybe UVic is an option for me. And, and how did that conversation come about in your own head and through other people um, at that point in your life? Well, I mean, my senior season was, uh, from a basketball perspective in school, was just a dream. You know, we were not a great team, but solid. And uh, we just actually uh, kind of just hit our stride at the, uh, at the BCs. I think the big favorite that year in the, in the single A was Elphinstone. And oh, yeah. uh, we just had a dream, a dream game in the semifinal. And we actually beat them pretty thoroughly. Um, who played St. Thomas Moore in the final the next night and, it was actually a tournament was at St. Thomas Moore. It was just way fire marshal should have been called. It was ridiculous how many people were there. Um, and obviously it was a very young Rich Goulet coaching, uh, coaching the Knights. Yeah, it was a great game. Uh, 71-68 for, uh, for St. Thomas Moore. I don't think we ever led. It was the only game in my high school career I fouled out of with a couple minutes left. And, uh, yeah, we thought there was a back and over at 69-68 with about 10 seconds left, but uh, we kind of froze and it was tossed deep and laid in and that was that. But uh, it was just, it was the season was a dream. It was great. And uh, it was so funny to then 92 with Smooth be back in the final at the at the Agrodome against uh, Pitt Meadows and have Rich at the helm for that game too. Yeah, it's funny how that things happen, right? And, and it's, from our perspective too, like, I never made that connection about your path. Like, that's just news for me, you know, doing research about you. Um, but knowing that the guys that were on that St. Thomas More team I've met and had connections with, and I do know, and I know stories get blown out of proportion, but I know anyone that talks about that game, the first thing they talk about is like how many people were crammed into that gymnasium and the walls were sweating. And it was just like people sitting on the baseline and, like something that you probably would definitely not get away with in, in today's day and age. Right. Absolutely true. But, you know, as the years go by and the result of the game kind of fades away, you know, a little bit or, you know, it fades away. It's, those are the kind of things you remember just the occasion uh, and, you know, your great fortune to play in a situation like that. So it was, uh, it was terrific. And uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, and then, then, you know, then graduated and uh, again, you know, for back in the mid 70s, if you were on the island, you know, this whole thing now with kids and they just, you know, they go all over the world to college. Like, I don't think 
you know, I had one, one, only one school ever was in my mind, and that was UVic, not because of sport, but just because it was the one that was close, and that was the one you went to if you were an island boy. Yeah. And as I said earlier, you know, my dad just said, well, look, you know, you don't know if you're good enough or whatever, but just, you know, give the basketball a whirl and see what happens. And, you know, if it doesn't pan out, then you can go and do something else. And already quite humbly, you know, leaving out the fact that you were MVP that year, but so you, you obviously knew what you were doing and just tell us a little bit about traveling down to Vic and what that was like and how it all worked out and, and what are some cool stories or things that happened along the way that, that uh, were part of your memories um, up to now. Well, I think that obviously, I think for everyone who, you know, arrived at UVic in the mid seventies that, uh, you know, I think, you know, lady luck in your life, there's always a couple of events that, uh, you know, shape your life. And for me and for others that hit UVic at that time, you know, we arrived at the same time as Ken Shields. Mm-hmm. And that was oh just, that was just an amazing, amazing situation. You know, here was basically, you know, at that time, a, a young man, he was like only in his maybe early thirties and uh, he was a fantastic player, but just the whole approach shifted dramatically immediately on his arrival. And, you know, if you were one of the people that was kind of in the slipstream and you were prepared to like get your nose to the grindstone and work your butt off, you had a chance. And that, and then once you were in the system, you know, he was just going to make you better. I mean, I was just like not athletic and a, you know, um, a limited player, but, you know, four or five years working with him and the amount of time he invested in the, each individual player to make your skill set better, to allow you to cope in, you know, high pressure situations was just, was remarkable. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I got there, got hooked, you know, my one goal in life was to be quote, you know, a credible university level player. And, uh, you know, Ken just made sure that for me and for many others, it happened. And then we, of course, you know, like a few bits and pieces started dropping in, like Randy Dalsetti and the Cazes and Eli and, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, what was kind of a traditionally BC based team and an Island based team had a few kind of stars added on top and it was just you know we got better and better each year and just took off so it sounds to me like right away that your guys's personalities just meshed in terms of both understanding and respecting the value of hard work you know knowing you you're someone who's not ego driven so you're willing to be able like i could imagine what you were like as a player in terms of being a leader and a floor general and doing what you were told and and being a captain and and looking out for each other so there must have been a bit of a bond or connection right off the bat i'm just sensing that is that correct yeah absolutely i mean i was probably that first year you know the last person selected to the team i mean honestly it was one of the happiest days of my life when i got called in and um, he laid out very bluntly honestly said in so many words, you know, you're, you're not at the level required right now, but you like to practice. You've got a great, you've got a good work ethic. That's what we're looking for. And I'm going to, you know, didn't say I'm going to make you better, but he said, you're going to get better. And, you know, in the five years, you know, that, you know, the first five years, like he never, ever spoke about winning. Mm. He only spoke about level of performance, effort, uh, and, so if you were buying in at that end, you and him were going to get on well. I love it. I, that was going to be my next question was, 
how many people can say that they jumped on board the same time as the legendary Ken Shields did and to be able to go back and reflect on how he started a culture at UVic of his own. Um, but you were there from the, you know, from the infant stages. Right. And so I love just hearing that stuff, you know, me well, and just love the culture and the outside of sport kind of stuff and what happens in the conversations and what you're trying to do to have everybody buy in and, for you personally, was there ever a time where you thought maybe it wasn't for you or were you like, no, I'm all in and I just want to go for this? Like what your dad said, did you have that ringing in your head or was there some doubts? Uh, you know, no doubts. It was, I was all in. I mean, you know, you remember those like kind of seminal moments in your life and first, you know, it was August and he arrived in town and, uh, you know, a lot of players milling around on the McKinnon gym you know, for the scrimmages and, you know, he, kind of we knew that he was the new guy in town and everything and and i remember him just coming across and just sticking his hand out and you know i said you know that the i've told the story many times you know six words that can change your life you know he just sticks his hand out and goes hello my name is ken shields and it just went from there so you know that first year i i didn't honestly i didn't play you know getting back to the, some of the earlier discussion i think we played i don't know 40 games I might have got in three of them for maybe a total of 12 minutes. Uh, I was a DNP coach decision pretty much every night. But I could tell, you know, but that didn't mean I was kind of like abandoned in the team. He was working his butt off three, four times a week just on the gym floor with just me. And I was getting better and I could see it. And it carried on through the summer. And then, you know, I was in, in the playing rotation and starting a little bit even the next year or so. That's awesome. It was it was it was honestly just uh, you know look back and just great time in my life. Yeah, I get a little bit of goosebump because I'm also looking right. I've got some stuff up on my laptop and looking, and it's like you can see literally the morphing of the program the years that you're there, right? Like you start out, you lose in the Can West Finals in '76, '77, '77, '78. You lose in the quarterfinal at Nationals, right? But win the Canada West. Then 97 or 90, 78, 79, you lose in the CIS championship, right? And yep. it just like you can see it. And then how special was that year, you know, where you guys bring home the banner for for the University of Victoria? That must have been an amazing feeling and something that like and that's something I think you like you mentioned before about kids traveling all over the world to go to different schools, but it's like I'm an island boy. I'm now an island man. I've only ever wanted to be at UVic. Now I'm playing for Ken Shields and holy bleep, like we just we just pulled off the national championship. Yeah, well it was it was pretty interesting because we like you said, there was a step-by-step progression. Uh, we got a little bit better each year. We were we were just a little bit unlucky in 78. It, it actually was the semifinal against St. Okay. Mary's. We lost by a point or two, and we actually had the ball last possession and a shot to win. UVic website's um, got to update themselves. Got to update themselves. Uh, 79, uh, the tournament had moved back to Calgary, but we played uh, – we, we scraped by Francis Xavier in the, in the semis. We played uh, – you know, the Mickey Fox led St. Mary's in the final. We didn't play great defensively that night. I kind of got lit up by Mickey, but uh, we lost in the final. But that was another step. And then we returned just about everyone in 1980, 1979-80. Uh, plus, you know, we had uh, the addition of Eli Pasquale. And, you know, really for me, the only, you know, getting back to some of the previous stuff we've talked about, it was 79-80 was a little bittersweet for me because I broke my foot 
uh, early in, in November. And that's really sidetracked me for quite a while. And I got back in sort of onto the team for the, for the stretch drive, but, you know, sort of in a, in a definite reserve role, I'd obviously hope for more, but, you know, again, Ken was amazing. Like he, he involved me even when I was injured, uh, he gave me sort of advanced scouting to do and, you know, it would still keep me in the team meetings and things. So even though, you know, we got to the five, played a couple of minutes in one of the games, so I didn't play in the final game. I still felt I was part of the team and, and contributing. Mm -hmm. That's powerful leadership right there for sure. Because you were a captain, correct? Uh, it was a bit like the Ryder Cup, non-playing captain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know. But, but, like but you yes, said, and, and I, I honestly, it's one of my, a story I like to tell on myself is that they, we won the final uh, and, uh, you know, the big trophy, which you know, like, I like this massive, like the Stanley Cup, big, you know, the McGee trophy. And they, I get called up for it. <laughs> And I'm in the full sweats and there's a, an old guy sitting right behind our bench. He's been yattering away the whole night with his wife. And he, as I go up, he nudges her and goes, who's that guy? <laughs> so but, I've really left the mark here. Very good. <laughs> but again, as you, you know, as you say, as the time goes by, like, cause we've interviewed a few people who have, you know, made a, a national final and not one and, you know, have had some bitterness, but then through time have realized, you know, what a special moment, like how many people you realize don't even get to compete in a national championship, let alone play for the title and win it. So um, pretty phenomenal. And then just, if you can, like you've got to have, we can't let you get away from this podcast and move on to the next phase of your life without talking about uh, the legend of Eli Pasquale and some of the people that you had the opportunity to play with at UVic. Um, that you've mentioned and if you have any great stories about their work ethic or what you taught them or they taught you or what it was like to compete with and against those people on a daily basis would would be amazing to hear because i know there's got to be a few kind of sitting in there that you've got yeah well it's a bit of a not on the spot but not really i mean it was a bit of a bit of a perfect storm you know obviously one of the he's certainly not forgotten uvic player because he's new jersey's been retired but you know, we, we were really disappointed to not win in 79 because it was Robbie Paris's last game. Um, and he was, you know, he'd been central to the program, just a great point guard in his own right. Uh, you know, 5'7", but just could just do so many things. And so obviously when he gradu graduated, the fact that Eli came in and was just, you know, very rare, very, very rare that a freshman started for Shields. But, you know, Eli was just so good that uh you know he had to and, and just i think the work ethic that the attention to getting better and looking after his body and just all those things that he he was in a another level already although he was only 19 years old uh, you know we were learning from him in terms of how to train and you know max out what the talent that you had and, and which in his case was pretty pretty significant mm. you know gerald kazanowski was just a great player you know as his subsequent career proved um tremendous defender passer you know rennie dalsetti boy when he was engaged he was like just an absolute bull uh you know six eight 240 skillful um you know the game was a little different back then too there was no three-point line and so size and power game inside was was important and we certainly had that you know kelly dukeshire as, as another one and then, you know, the other kind of X-factor guy was, was Billy Luce, who, you know, grew up in Rhode Island, 
played a couple years at Boston College, moved up to had a year at St. Mary's, you know, met his now wife, Carol Turney, uh, and they weren't loving it out there. And so she was a BC girl. So they came back and really they came to UVic because UVic's women's program was kind of maybe a little better than UBC's at that time. So Carol comes to join the women's, women's Vikes team and, and drags Billy along as well. So, you know, six, four, you know, I think he still has the high jump record in for high school in Rhode Island, uh, but just Holy a smoke. great, great competitor, great shooter. And then, you know, just, Behind all of that, you know, kind of the star power, there was just this really solid group of of, uh, of role players, um, you know, some of whom in their own time, Ted Anderson, for example, became, you know, frontline players who were who were very good. So it was a you know that plus the plus the coaching, it uh, you know it was a pretty formidable uh, operation. I mean, I still think I'm unbiased like crazy, but you know, as I said at Eli's memorial service, that I, I think the seventy nine eighty vikes team was the best cis team that's ever played really no i get it I, I lots, of, that. lots of people would disagree but boy when you're looking at you're looking at dulcetti kazanowski dukeshire loose pasquale plus their support cast plus <laughs> yeah non-playing <laughs> i was putting the pairings I, I was putting the pairings out for the sunday singles <laughs> <laughs> Young people, honestly, if you're listening and you're on a device, just Google some of those names. If you don't know Kazanowski, if you, you don't know Eli Pasquale, you know, those are two names that you should probably do some research on. Yeah. Um, First team all-stars like, as, a, as, a, as a rookie. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, started there. And then by the time he was the, his last year, he was the Mike Moser winner. So I can put that in the show notes. Man. <laughs> what was that like in terms of being there for his rookie year you said you learned from him but was there a little bit of the chip on the shoulder were guys going at him in practice or did he just bring such a level that it was like was it a guy where you just had no choice other than to follow him or was there a little bit of uh kind of just that push for, back and forth for him and his spot oh no you you had to uh if you were playing for the vikes in 79 80 you had to earn every minute you got obviously you like came in and uh you know okay i'm gonna say haha maybe you know he got pushed to the front a little further i mean i'm not saying for one second he definitely would have gone by me as the season went on but maybe if i'd been healthy might have taken him a little bit longer maybe another week um but he just he just he just had a, a skill set uh it was just like he was so fit like he could he could press teams by himself um tremendous defender you know passer ridiculously fit like he basically didn't lose a fitness run or a set of lines in his entire career um so yeah he just uh he he and you know and because he worked so hard and and uh just was so demanding of himself he just you just couldn't fault him like so you know we just almost like fell in line behind him and of course he didn't have to be the star because we had several other stars right especially at a young age right so it's like he can the mistakes that he can make maybe are blown out of bigger proportion if he doesn't have the supporting cast that around him and the guys that, that he could play with. Right. Whereas, you know, he's... I mean, I mean, for example, I mean, Craig Higgins, you know, who maybe by this time now there's people that haven't heard him. Craig Higgins, Oak Bay grad. He was a tremendous player as, you know, and he was a guy that basically came off the bench his entire UVic career pretty much, you know, so he was there backing Eli up and, and, uh, but you know, that just, again, you know, 
just reflective of how deep the team was. And, and, and also just the ability, like you said, a great group of guys to just sacrifice everything for winning, right? Like, you know, that backup could be, well, after two years, well, I'm not happy and I'm just going to go and transfer somewhere else. I'm going to go to UBC, right? Or, you know what I mean? It's like, well, no, I kind of want to just be a part of this and I'm willing to sacrifice my role to, to play for a championship. Yeah. And I think too, that, uh, and, and, and this is in a good way that the whole concept of transferring was, was, um, just didn't happen the way it does now. I mean, yeah, you guys now your future wife out at St. Mary's and then flew back and then realized yeah, no, there was there was absolutely, we, had, we had a couple, not saying we didn't. And I mean, but I mean, we had maybe in my whole career there five years, you know, we had maybe four in five mm-hmm. years, three in five years. And now you've got guys that, you know, they play at four different, four different schools in their five years and don't think anything of it. Yeah. And that was what I was thinking. So, so you know, it, I mean, it, it, it happens, but it didn't happen as much back then. Right. And I think it was a, if you were a good serious player that, you know, you just quickly got there and said, wow, this is, yeah, I want to be here. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor Parkside Brewery located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row. Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's streaky jump shot. We hope to see you Parkside. You know, it must be cool be someone who's been involved with the program still and, and helping coach there and just being able to see, you know, that banner and, and have great memories, right? As um, even though it's the new facility, but, you know, the memories still still last. And while you're there, is are you working on your education degree the whole time that you're you're hooping and, and doing your thing? Uh, no, well, I actually was, uh, I was studying history when I was at school. Um, and I graduated in 1988 with just a, with 1980, sorry, with just a, my undergrad in history, wasn't really sure, uh, what I wanted to do. Um, so I planned to kind of maybe go to grad school and it was just, again, the oddest coincidences, but 1980 was the first year that the government gave varsity athletes money, but we got it retroactively. So it's very dangerous to give out some graduating university students like 1500 bucks, which was probably about the equivalent of 10,000 back then, give them the money in mid April. So we all decided to, uh, six or seven of us decided to go to Hawaii for 10 days. I got rid of the money pretty quickly. But when I came back, uh, the history honors program had changed some of the prereqs and I was going to have to come back to school for another year to sort of get up to speed. And I just decided, that uh, I didn't want to do that. So I started looking around for a job. And again, Lady Luck, um, Seanigan, where I'd gone to school, they had a, a teacher leave third week in August of 1980. And I, they just needed somebody. And I just got in for the, and I was there for a couple of years before I then came back to you, Vic, to get my education piece. Unreal. It's just funny how things... Back then you could... Yeah. Oh, Yeah. I think Richie was like that too, even with counseling, like, you know, he taught for years and then just got into counseling because it was just natural at it, Richie Chambers. And then, you know, it was just kind of, that's just how it worked back then. And then 
some of the best teachers and people ended up in that situation, right? And had they maybe not even had that opportunity, they would have never even gone to teacher school in the end, right? And wouldn't have become a teacher in the end. So interesting how, how that happens. Did you know right away that you were going to become a coach? Like when did that start becoming something in the back of your mind? Or was it just because of, you know, you mentioned being a young age, having, you know, free for all to Sean again, in terms of the trails, the gym, everything access to you. When did you know that? All right. I, th I think this is something that I, I want to do. Well, I think I've just enjoyed being the whole team concept, the whole, you know, preparing. Um, and I think there was almost certainly, certainly at the independent schools. I mean, I think back certainly at the independent schools, there was an expectation that if you were a teacher and you had ability as an athlete of some description, you would be coaching something. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I got in and, and at the lower levels, admittedly, like I certainly wasn't coaching the first team or anything like that. Uh, you know, when I did get to SMU in 1984, uh, you know, I coached the grade nines and tens for at least six, seven years behind more experienced, better coaches than me. And, uh, you know, just slowly as they, you know, finished their careers and I sort of was in a position to, 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 to take over. So, but I think just the expectation was there. And, uh, I think certainly it's, you know, can really contribute to making a great school is when you got a lot of your academic staff that are fully involved at, uh, you know, in the, in the extracurricular life of the school just makes for great relationships with the kids. I, I agree. And I, obviously there'll be some people out there that are, you know, in the public system and different than where we're at, but same thing at, at Thomas Moore, you know, you're, you're brought in and may not be coaching, but. I think the culture that's created is we want you to be part of something, right? Um, because I believe that's how schools are great is what we can do outside of our classroom time and, and create and form memories. And I'll never forget uh, quickly coming over to you in 2015 to say like, congrats, <laughs> you guys are winning provincials and you're literally on your way to the airport because you're going on your like three week rugby tour. Like that's the craziness of your dedication to the sport and giving back because of the positive experiences you've had. And a thing that I've touched on a lot in the podcast is the young people coming through the system, being able to give back as well. And not always for, not always to get something back either, right? Not always for a paycheck, but just to, to create bonds and memories and things for other people who did it for them. So that's, you know, awesome to hear. And so uh, absolutely. And yeah. Yeah, sorry. And, and it, you know, it doesn't have to be sport. Mm -hmm. It can be art. It can be music, uh, clubs, councils. You know, there's so many ways to be involved. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's the point that I was making. If I didn't make it appropriately, it was for sure, like what, whatever it is, give back and, and do something extracurricular, you know, at least put a shift in. I just, for me as a teacher, if I was eight, you know, we started 820. So I drop Eli at daycare and I go <laughs> walk across the street to back to work and school ends at 240 <laughs> and we're not COVID like what would that life be like for me like a my wife would probably just hate me because I was home so much but B, like it just so, <laughs> it'd just be so boring like I just I just get so much selfishly I think one thing that we don't admit a lot maybe as much as we should to our kids is that we get as much from them as they get from us right um, and and the stuff that we take away selfishly and the purpose that they give us just by coaching them um, is so powerful. Could not agree more. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just find, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I just found this last term, not seeing the, the students on a daily basis, very tough. It just felt so different. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was be pretty, I'll be pretty keen that that does not continue in the fall. Yeah. I had a good chat with Donnie too, Van Austin. He was the same. It's just, I never realized that like, you always realize how much you enjoy the relationships and the sarcastic jokes and the kids and getting on them. But then it's like, when that gets taken away, it's like, whoa, this is, this, what we just went through is definitely not what we signed up for. You know what I mean? And, and like you say, in the fall, hopefully there's something that we can get back to because um, it's just such a fun profession to be in. When does, when does St. Mike's come into your life? 1984. Is that, is that a job that you're looking to apply for? Or is it, you know, you've gone at Sean again and like how I'm just curious to know, you've been there since literally 1984. I will not tell you how old I was in 1984, but you know, because you're smart, you can do the math, but um, you've done everything. You've taught, (laughs) you've coached, you've been a housemaster. For those that don't know, SMU is also a boarding school um, and and, and AD as well. So you've had a huge run, but how did that come into your life? And why at some point have you not gone, you know what, I think I need a little bit of change. Um, And why have you stuck it out for just so long and been able to make it fresh and and a place that you want to be every single day? Well, you know, I, I, having ended up at Shawnigan back for a couple of years, I, I left in 1983. Um, not for, I was certainly not unhappy at the school there at all, but I thought, you know, I'm still a relative young man. I've lived in Shawnigan my whole life. I should go back and get my, uh, I should go back and get my teaching qualifications so that if I do want to make a move, I've got all the options in front of me. So I did that 83, 84. I went back to UVic and, uh, got my B ed you know, helped Ken with the, with the team that year. And we were, we were lucky. It was Eli's last year. We, 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 we won the nationals again. And then again, it was just a question of, okay, what am I going to do now? It's the summer of 1984. And just the way that uh, things worked kind of at, at SMU at the time, the, the headmaster just heard from a few people. They said, well, this guy's floating around, you know, we could m- maybe use him in a few areas. And uh, it was, uh, it was, yeah, there wasn't even an interview process, to be honest. I just was so odd. I was supposed to meet him somewhere for lunch, and uh, it was a panic. I'd forgotten my stuff up at Shawnigan. I didn't know I wasn't appropriately dressed, and I thought it was just going to be a disaster, and basically walked in, sat down, and like, all he wanted to do was chat, and he basically you know, pulled a contract out of his pocket and put it down in front of me before we'd even started. And the rest is kind of history, <laughs> to be honest. It was, uh, I mean, you know, my wife laughs about it all the time. because I just arrived at at SMU in 1984, you know, the star athlete at the school was Gareth Reese. He was one of a whole bunch of really top athletes. And for the next decade, up till about 95, it was just an assembly line of stud athletes on, you know, both sides really, but the boys in particular. Mm -hmm. And I just thought this was just routine for a young teacher who wanted to be a coach. And of course, not that we haven't had a lot of very fine athletes since 1995. We have, but that was a purple patch decade. And I just happened to land right in the middle of it. And uh, yeah, luck just so um, got the bit between my teeth coaching, learned a lot from the older staff that were, uh, you know, above me at the time. And uh, yeah, so, and you know, from a basketball perspective, it was a, a guy named Bill Greenwell, who boy, I've got so many stories about that guy, but wow, he just he set the he set the bar for he was the father of smooth basketball, and uh, 
you know, he just paved the way for me to just kind of walk into a dream scenario, dream situation. That's cool. And just funny too, like little did they know, you know, young hides is running around, not dressed appropriately for his interview at that seven rugby titles later and two hoops and who, you know, a good dedicated teacher and coach, like little did they know what they had sitting there, or maybe the guy who you met with did. And that's why it didn't matter what you were wearing. And didn't matter what the conversation was. He knew what he had on his hands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he was the he was the the the, the headmaster who kind of turned the school around, and he didn't. Uh, you know, the formal interview process just kind of wasn't his style. He just he spoke to people whose opinion he respected, and if it jived with what he wanted, uh, which wasn't everyone's cup of tea, but uh, if it jived with what he wanted, he just reached out and and uh, and 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 hired that person story first one first yep. bill greenwell story is back in the uh back in the early late 70s early 80s math contests were very big in the province and then and the country and it was one way sort of tangibly to measure your academic performance as a school okay and smoo was pretty good at these at these contests but the one school that we couldn't beat provincially was aw neal junior high school in port alberni Okay. They just could somehow add our number every year. Anyway, the head headmaster's solution, yeah. he just goes and gets the teacher. <laughs> so made Bill Greenwell an offer he basically couldn't refuse. And that's got Billy down to Victoria. And of course, the, the big laugh was that when Bill came down, he said, well, this is fine. You know, this is good. The math's good. The, you know, the contract's good. He said, but I want to know which basketball team will I be coaching? Basketball was barely on the map. This is like 1980, barely on the map at the school. And the head went to Bill, hey, don't even worry about the basketball. We don't care about basketball. We just care about the math. And Bill said, if I'm not coaching basketball, I'm not coming. And the basketball had to start and he took over and, you know, drove it for a very successful decade. And basically, as I was ready to move into the senior ranks in the midst of this purple patch of athletes, Bill just gracefully stepped aside and, uh, you know, assisted me for like another 15 years. It was just wonderful times. Wow. I love that. That's awesome. There's so many different directions we could go from here. Obviously, you know, your, your resume as a coach in terms of winning speaks for itself, but uh, you know, as well as I do, you know, the, the banners are great and all, but in the end, it, it's kind of just the things that you're able to do and the things that you see in the stories. And, and when you get to reconnect, like you were telling me before we jumped on here, connecting with Oli Schmidt and Ali Wilmot a couple of weeks ago when, you know, when Ali's in town um, and just being able to sit down and chat with those people that you've impacted their lives. Right. Um, like there's so many different ways. Like if you want to touch a little bit on, on what rugby has done for your life um, to get this straight, for those that don't know, as and this this is kind of the cool thing about our podcast and what Corbin and I, when we created it, was to get, you know, when someone's going to see you coach Hides, right? They're going to see you um, out at the LEC in the back gym there, you know, stressing, clenching your fists, intense look on your face, you know, and if people are going to be judgmental or, or think that that's who you are as a person, right, they don't know. And, and so a lot of the people we've had have very different personalities, whether they coach or just play. And so we really want to highlight the things that make people who they are. And rugby, we can't overlook the rugby, even though this is a basketball podcast. You know, the, the levels that you've been on as a player and a referee and a coach, like I, if you could just touch on that a little bit and what that is like. And 
what is it like to referee a friggin' rugby game at the international level? And are you more tired than any other <laughs> sporting event ever? Like, I think I would rather play a game of basketball than referee a game of rugby, if I'm being totally honest. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the the, the rugby, obviously, I, I was introduced to the game while my father coached the first 15 at Seanigan for probably 35 years, very successfully. So as I grew up, you know, as a, a young boy in the 60s, I would watch the this religiously watch the first 15 play every Saturday. So I was a, probably a bit ahead of the curve in terms of understanding the game. Came to school in grade eight, uh, you know, played through till grade 12, uh, you know, played on some good teams. And then, you know, sort of took in some ways a five-year hiatus to play basketball at UVic, which was the greatest move I ever made. But then still kind of, you know, still 20, little about 25, and I was looking probably just to continue on with the, with the, the sport. And so, um, you know, I'd started playing a bit of rugby for couch and club up in Duncan. And, uh, you know, again, it was a strong club and, uh, you know, had a bit of success. And, uh, yeah, just, I mean, BC dominated Canadian rugby at the time. So if you were one of the, you know, more, um, more noticeable players within BC, that means you probably weren't too far away from, you know, consideration for the national team. And so, yeah, so I had about three or four years, 85 to 88, maybe just in the national team. Um, again, just kind of in a very much a reserve role, got a few starts, but uh, mostly I was on the bench, you know, behind Mark, Mark Wyatt and Gareth Reese, who were probably, you know, two of Canada's greatest ever players. But, uh, you know, it's just so lucky went, uh, you know, went around the world on trips, you know, who's lucky to go to the world cup in 87 and then transitioned to officiating really because I was coaching at school. And when you coached, it meant inevitably you had to ref. And, you know, I just had a good understanding of the game. And so suddenly, you know, you might get an invitation to go to another school to ref. And then maybe, you know, and then I finished playing and sort of switched to refereeing. And just there was just a bit of a gap. Um, you know, there's a bit of a pathway there. I had some really great uh, mentors locally. You know, Jan Curnow, Keith Morrison, uh, you know, Mel Jones, people like that in the in the local hierarchy who really helped me. And uh as I sort of got to the top of the Canada pyramid, that was when the one five or six year window worldwide where it opened up a little bit and the game went professional. And rather than refereeing being a completely closed shop at the top end, just for the referees of the top countries, they started to incorporate a few, you know, referees from the tier two so-called countries. And I was lucky I was at the top or near the top of the Canada pile. So I started to get a few games and, you know, find myself going to Japan and Samoa and Argentina and places like this. And uh, again, just had, again, three or four more, five years, six years, maybe of just fantastic trips. Yeah. Also, you know, played, you know, refereed some big games, some big pressure games. The one thing I would say is, you know, physically it, it was really demanding, but by that time with the, with the, with the cameras and, and uh, you know, the close monitoring of all, you know, of dirty play that, and the discipline of the players who are now professional and couldn't afford to be sent off mm. in some ways, refereeing the actual game was easier because the players were so disciplined and skilled. The pressure was immense because you didn't want to screw up a decision, but the actual delivery of the game might be less difficult than say, you know, a Surrey versus, you know, Simon Fraser second team game where it's just bubbling the whole time. And, you know, so right. anyway, just again, 
you know, I just don't want to bang away on Lady Luck here, but uh, just the timing was very fortuitous for me. Well, you, you are banging away on Lady Luck, and uh, I think there's a little more to it than that. I think it's, you know, sometimes good things happen for, for good people who deserve it and are, you know, maybe unintentionally putting themselves in situations that good things are going to happen to. So I know you're a humble pie guy, but it's all good. <laughs> cool stuff, though. I Like, I, I just see, like, you're refereeing the rugby world cup in 1999. Like that's great. Like that's so cool. And, um, also means that you're staying on the, uh, the stationary bike probably quite a lot too, to get, to keep that fitness level up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to just coaching smooth. Cause obviously, you know, we, you coached, um, against me and, and we've had the opportunity to coach against each other as a player when I was a player and, and now as a coach as well. Um, and you know, I, I'm sure, there's so many times you probably get tired of talking about, you know, like the Steve Nash and, but I was such a huge high school boys basketball follower that I knew more about your team than I think a lot of people did too. And I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying like, I knew that you guys had so many important, amazing pieces. And up until 92, cause I'm not totally aware. Did you guys get close? How close did you get at the senior level to, to a, a title? And what was the difference in that group of kids and young men, um, as opposed to maybe some other groups that just couldn't get there? Uh, well, we probably, we were a double A school through the eighties. So in 1984, we, we lost in the semifinals of the double A. We had good teams after that up to about 89. Um, you know, I was coaching the juniors, but helping where I could with the seniors. And then I took over the senior program in 1990. So 99 and 1991, we made the decision to move to AAA. Um, we had a pretty much grade 11 group at the time, but an exciting group. And uh, so we, 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 we made the decision. The, you know, <laughs> and then, of course, so that team finished eighth in the province. We lost a heartbreaker. We lost at the buzzer to Van College, who went on to, I think, the semis. Uh, we lost in the first round, 55-53 at the, uh, in, the in 91. But obviously, we're really looking forward to the next year. And, you know, by this time, Steve and Jamie, and we knew Marty Nash was coming. So, I mean, we were going to be just loaded in 91, 92, even though many other teams in the province were also going to be loaded. Mm -hmm. So, who, it was just the one year at eight. Who was on that night? I think the, the team for VC. Is that Willis? 1991 or 90, 91, 92 was Tyler Thompson, David Willis-Croft, yeah. uh, Gerald Cole, and John Dumont were in grade 10. Yeah. Um, it was deep and big, and, and, you know, Corbett was coaching. They were well coached. Yeah. Tough. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're really probably, you know, quite well, I mean, it's just, again, horse, you know, courses in your life. But the one time I almost left SMU was uh, I went to Europe in the Christmas of 1988. And I really closely investigated a teacher exchange and the possibility of maybe playing rugby at one of the leading clubs in the London area. And I don't know, it's just, it, it looked like it was going to be a go. And, uh, but it just a few loose ends came up and it just at the end I just decided it wasn't a banker and so I didn't go and uh you know it just it just just shows you some of the things that I'm in your life and a few months later um you know I met Lisa who you know became uh my wife shortly after we were married in uh 1990 I think as I mentioned it's our 30th anniversary tomorrow yes you did but again had I had I gone Yep. It's unlikely I would have been at SMU in November of 1990 when Steve and Jamie 
made the move to to SMU. Mm-hmm. And so that, again, complete good fortune of our paths intersecting wouldn't have happened. So, um, yeah, anyway, so then it was just, uh, you know, and then we had a really, really good decade, the 90s. We were, uh, uh, you know, we were, a, a, you know, for that whole decade, we were a contender. We obviously won in 92 in a, in against a loaded field and a loaded year. But, you know, really, we had great chances in 95 and 99. And 95, for sure, I blame myself. We could have won that year. I just messed that up big time. Uh, but it was just a fantastic, you know, riding this great group of athletes. And yeah. Yeah. And maybe just touch on a little bit about what basketball was like. Um, and this isn't to, to turn anybody off that's playing basketball right now or just recently graduated, but to give, you know, the young people a perspective on playing at the Agrodome, just the level, the amount of guys on each team. Let's go back to that 92 year. You obviously play Pitt Meadows in the final. You know, Scott Walton in the semi is winning the dunk contest, doing pump reversed uh, windmills, and then going out and scoring like 40 on Vancouver College. You know, like just so many different memories. Well, I just crushed Dole Whip in grade nine or whatever. But uh, <laughs> you touched well, well, I think it was, I mean, that 91, 92 year was for me remarkable in BC high school hoops because there probably were seven or eight teams that year that in a number of other years could or should have, would have won. I mean, I look, I think back to, you know, Jake Curley, Mitch Troutman and others at Abbotsford, like they had four guys go to play university level basketball the next year. I mean, they finished eighth. Mm -hmm. Alberni had Pat Cannon and, you know, and they finished seventh and, uh, it just, you know, Vancouver College was absolutely loaded. Um, we were loaded uh, and for the first time that year, fully healthy. And, but it was just, yeah, it was just, I mean, Richmond was solid that year. West Van was a sleeper, you know, it was just, uh, and and then the, you know, as a coach, I mean, I obviously, the one team, you know, and I did, I went into the tournament with feeling a lot of pressure because I thought to myself, God almighty, if we can't win this year with this team, like people go, man, who coached those guys? <laughs> so there was a lot of pressure on. And, you know, sometimes your pathway is just, I'm not saying if the final was easy because it wasn't, but the one team I thought could beat us just based on their talent and their preparation was Van College. They were big and they were skilled uh, and, you know, home crowd, the whole shot. And, you know, as you just mentioned, Led by Scott Walton, Pitt Meadows played the game of their life in the semifinal, yeah. and they won 74-73. And I just, you know, without looking past the game, but I just walked back to the hotel that night and just thought to myself, if we do just the basic things properly, we're going to win. And I just don't think they're going to be able to emotionally bounce back from that win. Mm. And, uh, you know, we made a total mess of the first half. We were, I think, up three at the half and just playing awful basketball. But then we we just kind of played a really, really good third quarter. I think we held them scoreless for about a, 10 minutes and, you know, we won by 25. And so, but, you know, lucky in that it, it fell, it fell uh, you know, that the game probably, the, the optimum draw fell our way. Well, and I think so that sometimes looks. Yeah, like that, especially at the high school level, just the amount of pieces that have to fall in line, you know, regardless if Steve Nash is your point guard or not, you know what I mean? Like just you, you talk about, cause they're, they're still kids at this point, right? They're young men, but they're still kids and they're nowhere near peaking athletically, but the emotional roller coaster of four days 
um, huge crowds, uh, just the, the exhaustion. And then, yeah, you knock off Van College in a game that no one thinks you can. And then you have to bounce back and play the final, right? And it's just like, that's why I have a hard time when people want to talk about high school coaches in our province, especially, and kind of rate them and who they are. It's like, how do you know? Like, there's a different group of kids coming through every year. I think you're looking for more consistency than you are how many provincial titles you've won. Because as you felt, I mean, you've had years where, you know, you've knocked someone off in the semifinal in a game where no one thought you could. And then got blown out in a final yourself, right? So you've been on both ends in that sense, but I think they're... Absolutely have. Yeah, and that's what makes the the high school experience so special, I think, is that you really don't know, you know what I mean? It really doesn't matter what the level is, uh, you know, what division you're in. A lot of things have to go right, starting with your own performance, to win a provincial championship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just mentioned that, you know, we've been lucky we've won a bunch at SMU and rugby and basketball, but I've lost just as many in the final and had some heartbreakers in the semis and quarters as times when I thought we had a really good chance, 95 and 2003, you know, we lost in the quarters both years and, you know, we had teams that had been number one in the whole year and just, you just didn't get it done. Yeah. Now, before we jump to 95, cause that's my year, <laughs> a pretty chaotic year of basketball. Like just what are, what are a few things that just stood out to you? Because I know all the listeners are going to want to know. Like, what are a few things that just stood out to you about Steve? And I know I've told you this before. One of my only claims to fame is that I, we did grow up in Victoria for a few years as my dad was the store manager of Woodward's and went to Willows Elementary and lived, like, just down the block from the Nashes. And my brother was the same age and went to elementary school with him and, you know, got to see him at a young age, especially be really hooked into soccer. But what was it that kind of took you from being – you know, a solid team at, at SMU to being like in a year in 92 where, like you've mentioned, eight, nine, ten teams that could have won it knowing that you were in the mix. Um, and what were the special things that you saw from him um, just kind of early on that separated himself? Well, I mean, it was an exciting year. But we even if those guys had not come, we would have been in the mix. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we had a we had been a different team, but we had some definite pieces and we were big and fit and you know we i'm not saying we would have won but we would have been in the in in the discussion like milan i mean the thing with steve milan Milan would have been yeah great 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 player like um and that's probably the the best part for you is like yeah we have this guy named steve nash but like milan oh my gosh that guy i think i liked him more than steve in high school because i just was like he was so pure and could do so many different things right and then you know like you mentioned jamie just you know being a role guy rebound and doing stuff and anyways i cut you off there but i always feel like milan was he when milan was fantastic i mean jeremy harris was a very accomplished player jan schmidt the guys on the bench were you know brendan barry chris isherwood ran van rude like you know they were good players um and uh you know so we were going to be we were going to be a, a tough out for you know even if steve and company hadn't come across but the fact that they were there and we knew they were going to be eligible and, you know, it was just, you know, go. And I mean, it, it was, you know, wanted to, you know, we, we were, as is the case with any team that's looking good in a season, you're in demand for tournaments. And, you know, we were able to kind of call our own shots and, you know, say, okay, well, we can't come unless we can have the last game on a Thursday night and, you know, be pretty confident that we could win it and go back home and go to school and come back to the island, the mainland the next day. Oh, no way. You know, just some of the little luxuries. Yeah, just the little luxuries. I mean, guys that, uh, you know, guys that needed to be in the classroom. 
yeah. arguably he was one of them. But uh, so, but anyway, it was just as a great, you know, and he was, he obviously was, his skill set was just remarkable. And, but beyond that, uh, just his, his leadership was superb. Like he, he knew which guys you could get on hard, which guys needed just a, you know, an arm around the shoulder. Every time there was a mistake, he would take responsibility for it. You know, if it was a perfect pass, it went through a guy's hands out of bounds. He would just say, you know, my, you know, bad timing pass was late, should have been on your, you know, et cetera. So guys, as a result, you know, they didn't get down on themselves. They just said they were confident and happy because, uh, you know, and you knew if you got open and did what you're supposed to do in the offense that uh, he'd find you and you'd get a chance to score. From a coaching standpoint, how was he? I mean, you, you touched on a couple of things there, but, you know, I know what you're like and I know nobody is gets special treatment. I mean, you work with players and you work to their, who they are, but were you able to get on him as hard as everyone well, else or what, what, yeah, how did you respond? Harder probably. Yeah. Oh, very well. Harder probably. I mean, I think with great players, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they want to be coached and, you know, probably as he arrived in grade 11, there was probably a few loose ends to his game. I mean, it was outrageous skill. It was probably a little bit over the top. It was a bit fancy, a bit unnecessarily fancy. So trying to streamline that. Um, worked really hard on his footwork into his jumper because, you know, he had the capacity to kind of go, you know, he'd get to the rim easily all the way to the rim. And not that he couldn't do that later in his career, but I just said, you know, as you move up the levels and there's bigger guys in there, you know, you've got to be able to, you know, to stop and, and, and hit shots off the dribble. And so he worked diligently at his footwork, you know, and he worked really hard on being around the basket with both hands. And so, you know, he was easy to coach in that regard. And, uh, you know, the greatest lesson I got from Shields was that, you know, your players get better when you work with them individually. And Shields spent a ton of time with me, even when I was the 12th man and pretty much hopeless, bringing them up to the standard. And so, I tried to get that with, you know, in that group with Steve to say like, you know, here's our time where it's just me and you. And many times that was on a Sunday morning after uh, tournaments had finished, you know, back in the gym, nine o'clock. But if he obviously had a way bigger dream than, you know, just getting to the agronome. Would you have ever imagined it to turn into what it did? Or did you just think like he worked so hard that nothing would surprise you? Um, well, I think if you'd said when he left school, well, this guy's going to be a two-time MVP, eight-time all-star revolutionized the game hall of fame no you're not believing that but what i did believe was that he had the work ethic and the skill to elevate his game to the next level required so as soon as he got to santa clara that he was going to be able to play he had a couple tough months adjusting to life down there but when he sort of got in and got on the floor he was capable and then it just got better and better and better and then he you know got to the nba and you know, it took a while, maybe a couple of seasons to him to get organized, but he just had the skill set and he could lift his game to the next level. So, you know, when he came, jumped in with the national team when it was centralized in Victoria and he's 16 years old and skinny and he's playing with a senior man and he's holding his own. Mm. Uh, I just thought, yeah, so you didn't see it happening. You didn't think about it happening forward, but as it was happening, you know, I wouldn't say I was shocked, shocked. You know, MVP, okay, yeah, maybe not, but it was obvious that he was going to be, you know, by the time he was in third year at Santa Clara, it was pretty obvious he was going to be drafted and be a good player in the NBA. And then at that point, you know, especially when his his uh, his career in the NBA started early on, you obviously just became a fan and more of a mentor if he ever wanted to reach out. But like, how were you, were you even able to watch games? How did you find a way 
to watch his games because there was no league pass. Did you did you go to mom and dad's house and did you find a way yeah. to deal some sort of sometimes? Yeah, satellite at the Shark Club downtown. Yeah, um, take your pick. Yeah, and of course it was first couple of years at Phoenix was super interesting because you know he basically was working like a dog and you know combination of trades and you know there he was as the third point guard behind Kevin Johnson and Jason Kidd and you know really that situation you know kind of almost forced Phoenix's Phoenix's hand and you know they investigated the trade to Dallas which of course did net them Sean Marion so it was a you know it wasn't a complete disaster trade but uh yeah so yeah and I think it's obviously that, you know, I mean, you've, you've like talked on it with Andrew last week, but, you know, like the thing that really kind of kickstart Steve's career was he got healthy and then he had that great run with Canada in 79 and, and 80, uh, sorry, in uh, 99 and 2000, you know, yeah. leading up to Sydney Olympics. And then he just came back and he just started ripping it up in the, in the league. Yeah, that was like, it just turned it to a different level. And then Andrew actually sent the link about a month ago to the, the Australia game at the Olympics. And it was like man like then you, you kind of just saw it right so that's so cool um thanks for sharing all that and i know i know it's uh, a special thing for you but also you know steve put the work in and so it's i think it's important that kids need to hear that he was not afraid to to just get after it and, and put the work and and do the things that were required and also be open to listening and and be a good leader and i think that's one of the things you know as someone who still kind of looks up to him as a basketball person was just um, how he's how he's morphed his life into keeping those leadership skills. When you hear him speak, he's so well spoken, he's so well thought out. You can tell he has a care and compassion for other people and for humans, um, and you can tell he's just got natural leadership ability. Which I think, when you combine that with, like you say, that work ethic, you know what? No matter what you choose to do in your path, you know, probably going to find some success along the way. No, I mean, no question. I mean, one of his famous quotes is. Uh... You know, he's talking about the NBA and he goes, if everyone worked as hard as me, I wouldn't have a job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and he would always, always talk about, you know, you control the controllables. You can't control your talent level. Other people will have more talent, no raw talent, jump higher, blah, blah, blah. But your effort you can control. And that's a great message for, for kids because it really is so many things. It's all about the effort. Like, just don't, just refuse to let yourself get it worked. And uh, then even if you don't reach maybe what you quite aspire for, you'll never be dissatisfied because you've given it everything. So that, you know, controlling the controllables in that regard is just critical. For sure. Awesome. Love that quote. Not sure I've ever heard that one, but it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty true when you think about it. Good Lad Clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the Lower Mainland. The owner, Shane Meyer, has worked hard to create a personal experience, offering clothing, specialized coffee, haircuts, and beard trims. Located in Lower Lonsdale at 221 West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the C-Bus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in store, if you mention a hoops journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store-wide. Let's jump to 1995. I got a question for you. Well, I might throw you for a loop. We're, we're going long here, but I do appreciate the stories. And, I, and I, I feel like this podcast could be three hours if we wanted to push you over the limit. But I'm sure your wife has a big day planned for you tomorrow for the anniversary, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so my first question is, 
if you can remember, what was I like as a basketball player in high school? Because <laughs> I know how you can methodically, your memory is crazy and how you can break things down from times ago. So I'm just going to throw myself out there. I might just hit the mute button on my mic, but have at it. Very, very polished. <laughs> now, Mitch, I remember you just as, I've, uh, well, I mean, a very, you know, a very, very hard worker you know, skilled, but a blue collar skill, um, would set screens, would rebound hard, would guard. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, just, I think a great reflection for any player is, or team is if people look and say that guy or that team is hard to play against, that's the ultimate compliment. So my gut feeling, my memories is that you were a guy that was hard to play against. We had a pretty good battle at the Beagle, didn't we? Uh, you beat us in the Beagle final. Yeah, that's right. We uh, it was a pretty good it was a pretty good game. We kind of we expended a lot of energy beating Aldergrove the night before. Yeah. Um, not that was not and uh, but yeah, no, you guys were just again. It, it's like with all the teams, like with Don and and Rich, and then you know with Corbett and like the best teams that you play in your season, they're all easy to prepare for but they're bloody hard to play against. And then you get the other teams that are hard to prepare for because they got a nine defenses and this, that, and the next thing, but there's nothing solid. And when the pressure comes on, they crack. And Fox 95 Fox team was like the easy to prepare for very hard to beat. Love it. Before we move on, talk a little bit about, cause you look at that 95 year and it still stings a little bit for us to have what people think is the biggest upset in high school history. But anyways, um, just the chaos, that 95 provincial championship, it, it wasn't the greatest to be a player in, but you know, we bounced back and, and we're happy with how we finished. But as a fan, it must've been pretty fun to be a part of, cause it was true March madness that year. Um, and you're just saying you connected with a couple guys, studs played provincial team with them all the way through u16 to 19 Oli schmidt and ali wilmot phenomenal human beings but even better um you know basketball players ended up playing at uvic national titles what are the memories that they take away or you guys take away from that and i know you're going to beat yourself up about how that provincial championship went but a team like a lady smith who I think we even came over. We we uh, our first weekend of the year, we came up. We played Lady Smith, got smacked by uh, by them. And I know I know Tony's dad's listening, so he probably was refing, and uh, Uncle Jimmy was probably refing as well. And then uh, we, then we hopped on the yellow bus, and then I think we came and played you guys and got pounded in your gym the on the Saturday afternoon. So. It's always lovely heading over to the island. It's a good thing the people over there. <laughs> yeah, you just can't roll over to the island and expect people to just kind of, you know, it's, it's tough. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the, the 95 season was, was there were quite a few good teams without maybe one absolutely dominant team. And first thing I want to say is that Ladysmith was a good team. Absolutely. They beat you guys. We played them twice, and we both were one-point games. We won one. We lost one in, in the, in the build-up. We lost just before the Islands. They had a bad Island tournament and uh, finished fourth, which still got them into the BCs, but it meant that they were like a really, like I think they were seeded 11th, and there's just no way they were 11th seed. Right. You know, but that's just the way it was that, 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 that year. And then, yeah, it was just, as you said, March Madness. Couldn't have been better. It was just dominoes. Um, you guys to Van Tech. 
uh, you know, us to McNair. And I know what doesn't saying that was a huge upset, but but they were they played an exceptional game and and they deserve to win. But uh, you know, it was a chance, probably just a few defensive assignments that I'd messed up and in my as I look back on it. But uh, it was great for the uh, for, for 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 the fans. You know, and it shows, you know, one of the big things as a coach, I'm always talking about big game, next game, mm. and how, you know, in 92, it was probably tough for, for, uh, for um, Pitt Meadows to emotionally come back the next night against us. I look at Sun Graham's 2015 year. You know, I still think we were the best team, but, you know, the other team that was dangerous was Southridge. Well, they got upset by Delview, you know, the hot Wowie Untalan game. You know, and so I think that, you know, it was interesting to watch that McNair was not able to bounce back the next night against Ladysmith, kind of got clocked in that game. So it was a real wacky tournament. I mean, it hasn't really been one that I can remember similar, but I mean, maybe a couple of years ago when, you know, like the sixth seed and the eighth seed were in the final, the 4A, but it was, uh, yeah, good teams, some really, really good players, you know, obviously McCrory and all your guys and, you know, Allie and Ole and Misha Greenwood and yeah, so... Yeah, it was a wild. But I year. think as a, sometimes, as, sometimes as a coach, you know, you kind of you look back at those four or five games in your in your uh, in your uh, career, and you think, geez, you know, that's one that I really wish to like to play again, get it, get back. I, can I just have one quick funny story to finish up the '95 tourney? Absolutely. Okay. Well, we that was my refereeing rugby refereeing career was just starting to take off, and I'd been assigned a couple of important games, and I took a real gamble that on the Saturday of the BCs. Oh. we would be playing at eight o'clock at night in the final, which would allow me to referee BC against the New Zealand development 15. That was in town, big game at Thunderbird stadium, huge game. Anyway, now we're in the game for fifth in the afternoon at two 30 rugby's at Thunderbird stadium at UBC at two 30. So obviously can't beat it both. And I can make the really tough call. Didn't feel great about it, but uh, the boys were understanding and off I went to do the rugby game finished at four o'clock. And the TV boys were on the side filming, and I knew that their crews were also at the Agrodome. And I rushed up and I said, can you get an update on the SMU West Van game for fifth? Yes, they could. They got back to me. Uh, Coach, uh, bad news. Minute to go. You guys are down seven. Well, now I'm just like kicking myself. I'm, I'm disappointed and I'm frustrated and everything. So anyway, I go off to the rugby dinner, and now it's about 8.15, and I'm coming back, and the final is just getting underway. And I walk in and the big draw board is there in the Agrodome in the front foyer. And I just, my eyes go right to the fifth place game. And it says, fifth place, smooth, overtime. And I thought, oh my God, we've come back from seven down and we've won the game in overtime. Then I get the story of the last five seconds of regulation time. And it goes back to my friend, Bill Greenwell, who was coaching the team that night. Smooth down five, ball on the side, timeout. Billy brings them in and by his own admission, just draws an absolute blank about what we're going to run. <laughs> but he doesn't miss a beat because he's such a savvy veteran. He takes the whiteboard and he gives it to Allie and said, you know what you want to do. You write up the play. <laughs> and of course, Allie wrote up the play with him taking the shot. Yeah. <laughs> nailed it. And then we won by about six in overtime. So that was the uh, our, from seven down win by six and some clever play by Bill Greenwell at the, uh, in the last time out. And then the kids maybe realized they didn't need you the whole year. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to bring that part of it up. Right <laughs> yeah. That's so. gold. I love it. Oh, I could just think of all the times I've 
had an idea of what I want to do for the timeout and I get down there and I kneel down and I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. this is against McGee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That lineup I put out there, four power forwards and a guard out of what the heck did I just do? Anyways. Yeah. That happens a lot before we jump to the kind of the fun part where we're going to fire some questions at you just have two more questions and then Corbin probably will have one for you as one. You mentioned a little bit, do you reflect more on the the big wins or the tough losses? Like what, you know, have you, have you even got there yet? You know, someone who's getting close towards the, you know, end of the coaching career, you know, what sticks out more at this point right now? Is it the ones where you're like, oof, I really like failed the boys on that one. Or is it, do you even give yourself time to look back on the success that you've had as a coach and player? You know, it's, I, I think it's probably you, you look back on the ones that got away mm. or you think got away. And I think that's partly a factor of, you know, when you, you've been brought up, you know, I mean, with where preparation is so important and you think back on your preparation and do you make an error there somewhere? And, um, you know, and again, you realize that it's not a, it's not a perfect, uh, you know, it's not a, a, a perfect scenario every time things go wrong, even if you are well prepared. But I think it's definitely the ones that got away or that you think got away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think that's too bad because, you know, sometimes you just, you need to take a bit of time and reflect back on the really good performances or the, you know, where your team has played really well or certain players have done things really well. You know, reflect more on those and not obsess about what went wrong and and what's the next game and you know that tends to be the, the nature of the beast you know you win a game and it just means you got another game the next day and you got you geared up for that and right so i think it was a look back on the ones that got away i wish i'd spent more time enjoying the good performances because you know there's been lots of those too yeah thanks for that answer i think too it's just human instinct right like we when we look in the mirror or we think about ourselves, we think of the flaws first as opposed to the things that we do well and that we can offer people. So kind of a same thing. I think another thing that must have been a really special moment for you, I'm just assuming, if you don't mind just talking a little bit about winning 2015 and then having your son be on the team. Like when you think of a hoops journey and what you've talked about, a dad that kind of molded the way for you, gave you a path to playing a ton of sports and being exposed to a bunch of things. Um, an Island boy goes to you, Vic gets to start his career with Ken Shields, all the things that have happened. And then did it hit you at any point where you were like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. Cause I can only imagine, you know, in whatever 15 years or 14 years, if Eli wants me to coach him and like, somehow we win a provincial championship, that, that would be a pretty emotional feeling. Yeah, it, it was emotional for sure. You know, that, that was a, there was a, an outstanding group of athletes in that grade 12 year at SMU 2014-15. And, you know, we didn't announce it to anyone, but even back in the summer before the year started, you know, I'd written to all the guys and I said, boys, you know, you have some, a chance because there were so many of them multi-sporters. I said, you have a chance to do something that's never been done in BC High School history. And that's to win a provincial championship in each one of the terms. And we targeted soccer, basketball and rugby. And, uh, you know, we duly accomplished it, which was which was absolutely wonderful. You know, Graham was a was a, you know, an integral part of all three teams. And uh, yeah, just I mean, the, you know, just working you know, again, you know, which maybe one of those things you wish you'd maybe had been able to enjoy the the final, you know, in the presentations 
a little bit more, but, uh, you know, it was just, it was a real thrill to, you know, to see him play well. And then also, you know, like he was, it could have been one of three or four, but, you know, he was selected the MVP for the tournament. And, you know, that was just, just, just really tied up the season with a, with a big bow. Yeah. That's super cool. And was I correct? That was the year where you literally were bolting out on your way to to your rugby tour to YVR? Uh, well, no, not YVR. We were uh, back on the seven ferry and uh, grabbed some sleep and then at, back at the airport at about six in the morning and off to Portugal, Spain on tour, which again was another just, you know, fabulous experience. Yeah. I mean, we can only feel so, you know, you're only so dedicated when we hear you're on your way to there. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The tour wasn't on its way to like Saskatoon in Manitoba. It was like, yeah, we're on our way. But I mean, I mean, that team, you know, that, that 2015 basketball team was very, very good because I mean, we, there were, you know, Graham, um, Jason Skelly, Jake Wilmot are still playing university level basketball. Maddie McCall was kind of an un- underrated center. He played four years, uh, you know, soccer in the States at college. Callum Montgomery was like the sixth man, sometimes starter, four years at UNC Charlotte, fourth round pick in the MLS draft by Dallas. You know, there were some studs on that team, you know, good depth, you know, like it was, it was, it was, and it was just a great group of guys. And, you know, and when your son is involved, you know, you knew all the guys, maybe even a little bit better than in a normal year. Right. So it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was awesome um, getting to go over there, um, have our first game of the year. Football guys have been healthy for about four days. Terrell Jana doesn't play. Uh, somehow the main gym, I'm using the air quotes right now, was not available. So we had to play in the spare gym. And uh, I, it, it was it close to 50. I feel bad. I can't even. Do you guys beat us by 50? No, it wasn't 50. Okay. We, 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 we played well. You guys were not quite organized and ready to go. And or, uh, you know, good, it was like some it was the thing is it was over quickly which allowed for a detailed post-game analysis at mccray's absolutely absolutely and then we gave us an opportunity to bounce back and and have a decent win against lambrick the next day so thank you for that we got some guys in and <laughs> it, honestly the press that he had on it felt like it was seven against four <sighs> like my dad and my uncle came to watch the game and they were sitting right across from me like top row and I was just like, I, I asked them the first thing they came over. I couldn't even hug them and say hi. I just was like, you didn't pay to get in, did you? Because I will give you your like five bucks back. Five <laughs> this bucks is back. not for anyone's eyes. Yeah. Not Thanks. the work that I that heard about that. Yeah. yeah. That was not Thanks. a fun group chat moment. Yep. <laughs> Corbs, before we move on, do you have a question for coach? I'm looking at this resume. Do I just print this as the graphic for the social media for the Instagram account? Just here's here's his resume. Have a, have a look. <laughs> you know, like you've obviously you've coached great players. You've experienced, you know, so many accolades and accomplishments as a coach and not just in basketball and, you know, in rugby. So like what keeps you going at this point? Because you've, you know, accomplished all that pretty much all that you could at you know, at the post high school and post-secondary level, is it more about you just love the, you know, the process of, you know, having relationships with the kids and, you know, seeing them, you know, develop into, you know, quote unquote young men, which, or is it, you know, do you chase the winning? Like, is it maybe a bit of competitive, is it kind of a bit of both that kind of, kind of thing, especially after what, almost 40 years of coaching now? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's probably a little bit of everything. Um, 
you know, one thing that, you know, Shields, I, I think in the, the years I was with Shields, I don't ever think he talked about winning. He just talked about level of performance, preparation, prepare, compete, be a great teammate. And that's a good, that's a good base from which to start every season when every season is different, different guys and different, you know, scenarios throughout. And so, you know, you, you want the wins happen when you do the other pieces properly. So it's just, again, focus on those pieces. And, and I think, I guess, you know, that, you know, if you want a, any type of a, you know, uh, I don't know, say a legacy is the right word, but that, that, you know, you just uh, were prepared to immerse yourself in, in the school and, and, and with the students and, uh, you know, try to make their, their high school, high school situation as, as positive as possible and set them on the, on the road down where, you know, as they move to college and become adults that they, that they can be successful. And that kind of as a follow-up question and, you know, some advice for the young coach like, like myself, then asking this pretty selfishly, like, you know, how do you, you know, how do you stay even keeled throughout, you know, the course of a coaching career, right? You have the highs of, you know, winning a provincial championship, you know, at rugby and, and basketball. And then, you know, how do you maintain not feeling burnt out and, and feeling dejected after the tough losses? And, uh, cause I know, I know for me, like, you know, Mitch is always at the other end of this when I'm just venting to him about losing to VC by, by three, when you're up three, you know, and just blowing up his phone, just, you know, is, you know, is there any advice in? Yeah, just, I think you can't, you just can't, you can't just don't, you know, don't dwell on, on, you know, like one result because I mean, it serves you as you put in the years, you know, you're going to look back and think, wow, geez, we stole that one. And it's the other coach probably who's thinking, God, how were we up three with eight seconds left and lose by two? You know, it all happens. And, you know, basketball in particular, where so much can happen in such a short window of actual playing time, you know, baskets, fouls, turnovers, whatever you want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think the, you know, is to have, you know, it's just for me, I'd say that, you know, you want to have a plan. I mean, obviously that's got to be flexible as you move through the season and deal with, you know, performance and injury and all that kind of stuff but you've got a plan you've got some absolute core basics that you will not budge from and mm -hmm. uh that you're prepared to put in the time and and that if you do that results will the results if you're you know looking at that as a as a, a measuring stick will will happen if they don't for whatever reason if you've done all the work that you should do in terms of setting a platform following on, on you know you will be satisfied and you will have given your players a, a really solid experience. Thank you, coach. It's a good answer. It's a wizard. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. And also, Corbs, you know, one of the things he left out is after 30 years of marriage, his wife probably doesn't want him home that much anyway, so he might as well coach. <laughs> I was just about to bring that up. <laughs> I really am learning a lot about marriages and being a father throughout this Hoops Journey podcast. What are your thoughts on ketchup on macaroni? Uh, no real thoughts. Don't like either. Oh, wow. You don't like macaroni? I'm afraid not. Wow. Uh, oh, okay. All right. It's fair. It's fair. I guess macaroni has sort of come back into my life now because we have Eli, right? So every, <laughs> every, every second meal, he wants macaroni, right? Mac and cheese. So um, I've just gave it a lot of thought. I never really anticipated anyone to say they don't like either but why not be you hides why not be you 
I love it. Who, who in your mind is the greatest basketball player you've ever seen? Oh, well, I'm obviously tempted to, uh, to vote for Steve Nash, but, uh, I was looking and I was thinking of the, you know, kind of greatest of all time, most valuable. And, uh, I think cause he was, I'm just, he was just concluding his career as I started watching a little basketball. So I'm going to go with Bill Russell. Yes, he knew he was not going to give something on the radar. Were you magic or bird? Bird. I know my brother's going to hear that. He's a bird too. I was magic. That's okay. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> Other than Steve, who would be the greatest player that maybe you've uh, played or that you've played or coached against? And obviously, Eli, like, was there someone at UVic that stood out that was a stud that you played against? Or was there someone along your your time as a coach that you've been like, wow, so you've seen a lot. Well, there was a Mitchell guy at, uh, at, at Terry Fox in 95. It's pretty yeah. good. Not bad. But, yeah. uh, greatest, go. player, greatest player I played against. Um, I'd actually shift gears and go away from, uh, from basketball. I go back to rugby. Mm. And uh, in the, uh, the summer of 1986, I played in France for a kind of a Canadian selection. And we played against uh, one of the top club teams named uh, Agen. And they had a guy who went to play 100 times for France and named Philippe Selah, uh, who was just an absolutely wonderful player and carved us to shreds that day. Did he Salah all over you guys? Uh, yes, he yeah. did. <laughs> um, if it was, uh, ooh, yeah, I'm going to stick with, I'm going to stick with Philippe Salah. Perfect. Love it. If you have like five bucks, I know you're a fitness guy and you're in good shape and like you're going to get the garden burger when we're out or whatever. What's the bag of chips that you're going to grab if you're bagging, grabbing some, some chips? Corn chips. Wow. I'm speechless. This couldn't be any more high. This is amazing. I love it. I'm clapping. I have to clap for that. I love it. There will be no other person on this podcast, however long we do this for, that's going to say corn chips. I will give you 10 to 1 odds on that, Corbin Castris. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll edit in some applause after that for you, just for you as well. Yeah. <laughs> Two more questions for you, and then we'll let you be on your way. Who's been the most important person in your life or people? Ooh. Question. Most important people in my life? Uh, well, Obviously, my parents um, and immediate family, but my parents, I think, uh, you know, anyone, you know, if you're if you're growing up and your parents are your hero heroes, then uh, you're you're well served. And that was certainly the case for me. Obviously, my wife, Lisa and sons, Derek and Graham, you know, just obviously life wouldn't be the same without them. Um, They've just been marvelous in every way, all three of them. And finally, uh, Shields. Yeah, just uh, I learned so much, uh, so many valuable life lessons from him, which uh, you know, hopefully, you hopefully you'll see you know continue today if you're around our our program or school for any length of time. I mean, the way that I don't I don't know uh, Coach Shields great by any means. Um, I'm not if I approached him, not sure if you know who I was, but chatted with him before. But the way that you described him, I would say. You know the stuff that you shared with me. There's no, there's no question that there's some, some relation there, and I think he'd probably be pretty humbled to hear that, that sentiment. So thanks for that. Last one. If you could do it all again, you would not change much. I've looked back and again talked of being uh, very fortunate, um, grateful, humbled, 
hopefully being a lifelong learner and I've certainly uh, had a lot of help along the way. You know, my parents, you know, would drill into us that, uh, you know, and always say that the world's most powerful prayer is uh, two simple words. Thank you. And they would be mine. Wow. Wow. Should we just hit the outro music now? Like, what are we supposed to say after that? Unreal. Before you go, is there anything else you'd like to add or anybody else that you want to just shout out or comment to? I know we'll, uh, we'll be in touch soon and, and we appreciate you being on, but just giving you the last opportunity to make a few more comments if you'd like. And if not, uh, we can get you on your way. I expect to see you on the Caddy Bay Beach in a few days' time and the Goose Islands will be on you. <laughs> love it coach i appreciate you you know i've told you before i value you as a, as a friend and a mentor and appreciate who you are and what you're about so i'm really thrilled that you came on and, and were able to share a little bit of your story with us um because I, like i said i think you know people say ian heidelay that they just it's steve nash and then that's kind of where they leave it at and you have a pretty darn unique story and and someone i think a lot of island people you know will have a lot of island pride with some of the names that you've mentioned and some of these people that listen to our podcast won't have any idea and hopefully they look those people up um and that's kind of what this podcast is about so really really appreciate it and yes hoping to see you uh this weekend coming up and you know that we'll be in touch for sure thank you so much corbs anything else before we go no, thank you, Coach. That's, I I've been locked in there since the beginning, and this is just uh, I, I I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been it's been a real pleasure to be on the on the show. Thanks to everyone for checking in a Hoops Journey. We hope you enjoyed this uh, episode. Please give us some feedback. You can find us on all social media platforms, and give us a holler. In the meantime, take take care of each other. Uh, be well, and we will see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.